You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Good morning, Andy. Hello, Brett. Welcome back. It's been a couple weeks since we've joined you all on the chopping block. We had a conference and kind of going to get back in the swing here. So we're excited to break down the next couple weeks of our series in Acts. Good to be back. And then we'll jump into Jonah. And we will speculate on what type of fish swallowed Jonah for one whole episode. It was a whale. So that that is coming. That is coming. But this week, we are finishing this, what I think has been a really helpful series called Devoted Community. I've had lots of good feedback, lots of good discussions in city group with my city group. And this week, we kind of pivoted a little bit from where we were, you know, taking these almost marks of this early church being devoted to the gospels, to the apostles' teaching, um, devoted to the fellowship to the prayers, and to the breaking of bread. We, we, we kind of started by looking at some of those things, and but we flipped the script a little bit and just looked really at one word and, and kind of the atmosphere of the early church, if you would. In verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. This word awe is what you spent 39 minutes speaking about, you, you just had to slide that in, didn't you? <laughs> I thought it was a great sermon. I thought it was great. I just was giving you a time mark. Uh, awe, which is maybe not something we think about. It's probably not on a daily basis for sure. And something, I bet if we polled every person who attends City Life Church, I don't think, and we gave them a list of words to describe their experience with God, I don't think many would, would mark awe. Right. Yeah, I think that's why I was drawn to it as I was wrestling with the text um, and why I felt like the Lord was calling me to just kind of camp out on that phrase. Everyone was filled with awe, like the whole group, like the collective experience of this early church was awe. Right. Um, Just because I do think that's foreign to many of us and in our experience of of God in the church. Yeah. And Sadly. What, and what we'd like to do this morning is kind of circle back on that idea and, and help you kind of flesh out like what this means and what this doesn't mean. You know, our, our goal is never to guilt people and go, and you should be feeling this all the time, right? Like, or to go, you're doing something wrong, do this more. It's to go like, if you have tasted and seen the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus, you should at times experience great moments and be seized by the awe of the gospel and the and, and, and who Jesus is. Um, yeah, one of the things I was pressing on was just that I think many of us have a domesticated view of God. Yeah. Um, our God is far too small. Mm-hmm. And we we need to 
capture, recapture the grandeur, like yeah. the, the, the bigness of God as he presents himself in the scriptures. Yeah, that's really good. So let's camp on that word again for just a moment. You said the, the Greek word there for awe is phabos. 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 And we get our word, like our modern word, phobia. Comes, yeah, same, same kind of root. So help us understand what this word means and what it doesn't mean. Just flesh it out for us a little bit more. I think we struggle because in our culture, we tend to associate fear almost wholly negative. Right. You know, it's, it's a negative word. To be, to be fearful is to be scared of something. And so there's some imminent threat or danger um, that we um, associate with fear. But the Bible's use of it is more nuanced and diverse. Um, and I think part of what I was trying to do in the sermon was to recapture um, how the Bible uses that that word and um, that it's 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 uh, when associated with God, yeah um, God is something to be feared in the sense of like he's powerful, right more powerful um, than we know. He can take you out. Um, you know Hebrews the author of Hebrews says that he's a consuming fire. Um, he's nothing to be trifled with. Um, and yet at the same time, he's beautiful. Yeah. And um, he's good. And, and so that creates this uh, paradox almost that yeah. I think that the word is really tapping into when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. Um, and so it gets translated in different ways like respect or reverence or, or wonder Awe is how it's translated in Acts chapter two, and sometimes it is fear. Um, but it's it's when when associated with God, it's dealing with this paradox of both power and beauty. Yeah, um, that sort of captures you. There's a warmth to it uh, where it it freezes you, but fascinates you. Yeah, um, there's nothing boring about it. Right. I was just thinking about the idea of the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, right? And we even see that, like, practically. Like, it's a wise thing when you step back from a large fire. <laughs> it's a wise thing because you know what that thing is. Right. This is, this is not safe. This is dangerous. You, you, you don't play with it. And, and, and we just need to wrestle with the fact that we never really take a step back from God and go, yeah. man, he's big. So much of the creation is you know, uh, they're harbingers of this reality. Right. Like a volcano. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you look at an active volcano, like gushing forth lava, and you're like, this thing, to be near it right. is terrifying. I'm super attracted to this. Like, I just, right. like it's, it's, you want to watch it. You're like, I wish I could be just close enough to like see this thing in action without like, you know, getting eaten alive by lava, right, you know? Right. Um, you mentioned earlier the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Yeah, you you had a, I thought that was a really helpful uh, illustration. We we talked about in our men's Bible study on, on Monday morning, but yeah, I've been to the Grand Canyon once and that was an experience. Like, I'm not afraid of heights typically, but then when you're staying at that edge, you're like, oh, 
one false slip, uh, this 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 thing goes badly. But you're also like, I want to have the best view. I want to see all of it. I, mean, I was telling you, I, I would not want my four year old and six year old there right now because of how yeah. wild they are. <laughs> um, but yeah, that experience of me, and I, I can't look away. I want to see all of it, and I know I need to be really really careful here. Yeah, there's some trepidation there. Like Grand Canyon will kill you if you don't respect it. Sure. Um, it'll also amaze you. It'll astound you by its beauty. And and so I do think the Lord's put those signs in his creation Uh as testimonies of who he is. And there's small, there's small glimpses of the reality of his glory. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to fully come around it, but I think we're, those are hints at the fear of the Lord and what it means to stand in awe. That's good. Well, let's get practical for us for a minute. You, know, you made a comment at some point early in the sermon where you essentially said, we, we've, we've equated stoicism with Christian maturity. Mm. That, that, that that's what Christian maturity looks like. And that hit a guy in our Bible study as we were talking this week. And I wonder if you just help us flesh that out for a minute. You know, for the person who goes, you know, I typically see emotions as, or be moved by things emotionally as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. And I see uh, being self-controlled, you know, seemingly self-controlled and, you know, um, restrained maybe reverent would be the word they would they would think they're saying there right um as being mature help 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 the person who feels that way whether it's a worship service or just in their daily walk with Jesus what 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 do we need to be wrestling with when we think about that idea there's so much to this question you know we live in the post enlightenment west um, and so we, we really live in this stream of thinking that says you are what you know. Mm. I think, therefore, I am, you know. And we tend to view ourselves, especially, I think, in our stream as uh, brains on a stick, mm. you know, and that, that knowledge is the highest order. And I think St. Augustine so helpful here. We need to go back to the fourth century. And, and learn from our North African father, like, you are what you love. Um, and love necessitates affections. Doesn't yeah. It doesn't diminish knowledge, but it necessitates affections, that we are more than what we know. Um, and I, I would just say, even push back even further to the Bible. That's part of what I was trying to do in the sermon and go like, we just need to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. And what when we do that, what we find is like we can't divorce the Christian experience and Christian maturity from deep emotion and affections. I mean, David models this for us in the Psalms. Right. Um, you know, you think about when Mary is given, uh, handed the reality that she's going to be um, the one, the vessel of, bringing the Messiah into the world, what does she do? She breaks forth in song. Yeah. You know? Um, when when uh, the people of Israel pass through the Red Sea, what happens? Miriam prophesies in song. 
Um, the Bible is just filled with emotional expression. It's it's filled with this affective language. Yeah. That we just we can't get away from. And so one of the cautions I think for us is pay attention to the stream that you come out of. In fact, I would say that other traditions don't struggle with this maybe like we do. Some of this is unique to our tribe. There are Christians who are very good at giving expression. Right. Um, that don't associate maturity only with uh somberness and reflection, but they also associate maturity with joy and expression. Right. And so I think part of the call here would be like learn from the global church here. Don't be so in you know entrenched in your tribe that you're living in an echo chamber. That's good. Um but yeah I mean I think we we cannot associate Christian maturity with maybe our preferred spiritual heroes only. Right. Um they bring certain things to the table. We do well to to welcome other voices to the table of our lives and to learn from them and I think we have so much to learn here when it comes to um faithful expression of worship mm-hmm. leading us to to em- emotion in in expressing our affections. Right. And the, the only caveat we might give there is this looks different for different people. Different people are, are wired differently, right? Uh, you know, what we're ultimately talking about is a heart posture. Like there's your heart has been impacted by the gospel, by what you're hearing, by the words you're singing, by the words we're praying, and you can't help but respond. And response might look different. Response might look like kneeling for some people. It might look like raising both hands for some people. It might look like a head down and 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 eyes closed, really uh, seeking the Lord in that moment. It's it's not necessary. There's not an equation for how this works out in someone's, you know, how they use their body or um, how they express themselves in worship necessarily. But there is a heart posture. Have you? Are you moved? Right. I think I would just my one caveat to your caveat would be uh, <laughs> caveat the caveat. Uh, but I know that you know that I, um, my one caveat though would be that, um, it's so easy to baptize our preference right, or the, the experience, uh, or stream that we come out of. And we got to be really careful there. And also that the Bible does give us some language to help us, mm-hmm. you know? So when the Psalms tell us to lift our hands, maybe we should lift them. When it tells us to clap our hands, maybe we should clap. I mean, the Bible is giving us, the Bible is giving us like physiological embodied expressions of worship that we cannot divorce from what we're aiming at here, which is awe. Yes. Um, We can't separate those two because we're embodied souls. We're, we're, we're psychosomatic beings. Right. And the clapping helps us at times, or the lament helps us sure. at times. I mean, we we just we need to be truly and fully whole Bible Christians. Yeah, um, I think that would help a lot of us who are inclined towards this very stoic expression of faith, and that is a faith act. It's a faith act to go. This makes me feel a little uncomfortable, uh-huh. and I don't know about it. Well. You're right. Um, personality plays a role here. Right. Um, and so we're not saying that there's a formula. Yeah. 
but I am saying like maybe you should take the step of faith and <laughs> and act out what the Bible calls you to act out. Yes. You know, I love it. I love it. You just triple stamp my double stamp. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, but then as we consider that this idea of awe, and you know, the early church it says everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe. Seems to be this like corporate, consistent experience. Um, and you made the comment, you know, what we're not saying is that you're going to always live in this sort of camp high, this kind of mountaintop faith experience where you're always feeling this, this overwhelming sense of awe at every moment of every day. Right. We're not saying that necessarily. So what what should we expect? Like what what should be our expectation in our in a, on a Tuesday? And, and and what should we expect and maybe seek, maybe that's the better word, seek when we walk into worship on Sunday morning. It's a great question. You know, I I don't think I, I think one thing that I would quickly caution us from is becoming formulaic mm-hmm. in what awe looks like or sounds like or feels like. Um what I think's being described by Luke when he says everyone was filled with awe is that there was an atmosphere of 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 reveling. Yeah. And and wonder. At who God, they had a big view of God. If I could say anything, I would just say we need a bigger view of God um, in our daily lives. Right. I would say, secondly, Monday to Saturday fed into Sunday. Mm-hmm. That they weren't putting God on pause all week and then trying to live in some awe experience on Sunday. Right. That every day they were in homes, sitting under the apostles' teaching, fellowshipping together with eating their food with joyful and you know sincere hearts that it was it was an all of the time thing there was a there was a heart posture of reverence that was consistent among these believers so i think it starts with our times with the lord um and an expectation there that he's a living god who meets us in the secret place and reveals himself to us that we've been filled by his spirit and that we can live in a real relationship of conversation through word and prayer throughout our days, that we can actually live with one another in our days and weeks in conversation with what the Lord's teaching us through word and prayer as we live in conversation with him and that that becomes edifying, that we begin to ask the Lord to do things, that we we live in a posture of, of supplication where we're asking God for things and we're watching him answer our prayers. Yeah, And that causes us to marvel that the God of the universe sees us and hears us and wants to answer our prayers. And that when that happens, we recognize that. That's so good. And I just think that if I can be honest, like I think a lot of us are functionally deist. (laughs) We, we believe God's there, right? But we think he's distant and he doesn't much engage in our everyday lives. Yeah. And we're not engaging him. And so there's this there's this dissonance. There's this big, massive gap between what we read in Acts chapter 2 and what we feel in our everyday lives. 
And I think most of that is because we view God as uninterested and distant and disconnected from our jobs and our homes and the ball field and bills and trials. And God's saying, man, I'm here. I'm here. And I'm just as big and just as beautiful and wonderful and want to meet you in all of that. And there's opportunities for us to revel Monday to Saturday. And then we walk in Sunday morning with an expectation because we've been fellowshipping all week. I just think a lot of us just aren't living into that. That's good. So maybe just a pastoral word as we end for the person who just hasn't felt this in a long time. And it's been a extended drop quote-unquote, dry season. Uh, I read the scriptures. It's not happening for me there. I try to pray. It feels like I'm forcing myself to keep talking. I, I had a conversation with a guy last week similar to this saying, you know, I'm, I'm essentially making myself go to church and making myself read the Bible. Well, what's the pastoral word for that person? In one sense, press on. You know, I I think of uh, the prophet Elijah. You know, we can assemble the wood, but God has to send the fire from heaven. Like, amen. But God has said, like, you put yourself on this path, I'll meet you. We don't know exactly when. Yeah. But I'll meet you there. And so one one word would just be to persevere. Um, But if I could exhort you in anything, it would be, um that we honor God with expectation and what if you prayed in faith that God would reveal himself to you do you think he delights to answer that prayer yeah do you think that God wants to make himself known to you mm-hmm. yeah you know God is not so far from each one of us that he cannot be reached out and grabbed hold of he's near He's near and he's knowable and he's, he wants to reveal himself to you. Amen. He loves you and he wants you to marvel. He wants you to marvel at how glorious he is. I was hit maybe hardest by that quote from Piper I had in my sermon where he said, essentially that if, if we don't have an appetite for the glory of God, maybe it's because we've nibbled so long at the table of the world that we're stuffed by those things. Yeah. And, and so maybe you need to redirect your appetite. Maybe maybe what you're sensing as just a distant deity, maybe the reality is that he hasn't gone anywhere and you've distanced yourself from him right. by filling your life with not even necessarily evil things, just not the most important thing. Um, I don't know. That's I don't know. Word. That's a good word. I, I think we can end there and... I think I would just say if, if, if there's someone who wants to talk more about this topic and their own experience, we're always available. But thanks for your words today, Pastor Andy. I think that was really helpful. I'm excited to finish up this series next week. Me as well. Thanks, Brett. Catch you next Tuesday. Peace. If you want to find out more about City Life Church, or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.